0: Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm
1: Pastor Sumrall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. Well, life changed again last night. We all sat up. We all watched the news. We all tried to make sense of it all. We are walking in a way that we have never walked before, but God is with us. I would encourage that you be submissive to the government and not allow your frustrations and your disagreements to necessarily show right now. This this is a time for us as a people to pull together and stand with our government. And even if you disagree, you just, you put that alone and you just, man, nah, I'm not going to deal with that. Right now, you and I need to be submissive to governing authorities, cooperate as a nation we need to pull together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we've never been this way before. We we find it even difficult to comprehend that such a thing is going on. We understand it, Lord, intellectually, but our hearts, when we think of the poor and we think of the daily workers, Father, we just ask in Jesus' name. Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that you help us, that you help us understand, that you help us move forward, and then, Father, that you guide us and lead us in this time. That Lord, that you show us the path to take and you show us how to guide our families and you show us how to lead our families. Now, as we open our hearts to your word, teach us today and let your word encourage us in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to start with Psalms chapter 91. That was Pastor Claude FaceTiming me, the the joys of live. (laughs) Psalms chapter 91 as we get started. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the almighty i will say to the lord i like that i will say to the lord my refuge my fortress my god in whom i trust for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler You will not fear the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge, no evil, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adler, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This Psalm will be our watchword. We'll open every show. We'll open every morning devotions. We'll open every evening service with this when we come live to you beginning tonight. Every service. Every devotional will open with that Psalm. That is our watchword right now. God has promised, my brothers and sisters, no plague shall come near your tent. God has promised that we don't need to be afraid. He will deliver us from these plagues, this coronavirus. My friends, this is not mind over matter. This is not positive thinking. This is simple faith in a God that you have made my God, my refuge, my fortress my deliverer, my protector. He's your personal God. I got up early this morning and I was reading through some emails that I'd received and one of them came from Frank and Paris Bailey in New Orleans and she wrote the story. I did not know the story, though I thought I'd read everything of Spurgeon. She she sent the story of a young Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers of the earlier generation in London, England, during the plague that wiped through that whole section of the world. And he was so discouraged he would go and pray with people. And somebody handed him Psalms 91 as he was walking down the street. And it so took that young preacher's heart and encouraged him. This is the psalm for these days, Fortress 91. Now, let me talk to you for just a minute before we go to worship. I, I want to talk to you practically for a few minutes, just, just for a few minutes practically before we get into the word today. And I want you to take notes on some things. First of all, how are you gonna live during these weeks of total lockdown in your house so that you don't kill your loved ones? So husbands and wives, you don't get on each other's nerves and argue so you don't get mad when the kids begin to frustrate you. How are you gonna live during these times? Well, I want you to understand that Jesus always lived a schedule. How often have I taught you that Jesus said, listen, you go tell that fox that today I'm gonna do this, tomorrow I'm gonna do this, and on the third day I will arrive in Jerusalem. Jesus lived a schedule. You need to learn that even when situations like this come up, live on purpose, live a schedule. So lay out a daily routine. Right after you get off morning devotions today, prayerfully lay out a daily routine. Set up the time. This is when I'm going to get up. I'm going to watch daily devotions at 7 o'clock. But have a regular rise. Do not do not just sleep away the days because you know what? You're gonna get really, really bored, and then you're not gonna sleep at night because you've been sleeping all day. So get up at the same time every morning. Do do some in-house exercises to get the blood flowing, keep your body strong. And you know what? Get cleaned up. Some people, when they stay home all day, they don't brush the teeth, they don't take a bath, my <laughs> You know, get yourself cleaned up, guys especially. Be nice to your wives. Get yourself cleaned up every morning. And then maybe start a three time a day Daniel prayer. Morning, noontime, and evening. So three times a day. Spend time in prayer. This is this would be a really good time to get your prayer life really strengthened and going. And and maybe, you know, lay lay out your house so that you get you every day you open up all the windows and you air your house out daily and keep the air fresh. Now, let me give you some things to do, some things to add to your to-do list every day. Why don't you just plan to read the New Testament, lay it out so that you read the whole New Testament in seven days. Now, that's a lot of reading, that's several hours a day, but read the New Testament in seven days. And then if we get locked up another week, read the New Testament again in seven days. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, guys, you can also work on some of those projects your wife has been asking you to do around the house. Here in my apartment, we just moved in and you know, Shasha and EJ moved us in when we were out of town and they they took care of everything and we've still got a whole bunch of stuff in boxes. So, you know, I'll be doing things Sister Bev would want me to do. I'll be unpacking boxes and trying to get some things moved in and things. Uh, Maybe those of you in the office work, you know, lay out your plans. Businessmen, work on your plans. Things, thinking time that you haven't had time to do Use this for your thinking time. Use this for your planning time. Some of you, you need to clean out your computer. Your computer looks like a garbage can. It's so full of stuff. This would be a good time to get your computer cleaned out. But one of the other things to do very practically is lay out your your food and your calorie intakes. If you're just staying in the house, you don't need to eat as much or you are going to be... Okay? So lay out your calorie intakes. You don't need to eat as much food. It's gonna be a little more difficult to access food for these next few weeks. So reduce your calorie intake, lay out this is what we're gonna eat every day, kind of get things laid out, organize your daily food, and then you can see what you need and when you need to buy it and how long you've got a stockpile for, and you know, lay out the daily food for the whole family. Just get yourself organized for this time. Don't, don't just allow life to happen. Live on purpose. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Would you open your Bibles this morning to the book of Luke chapter four, as we get started, Luke chapter four. And again, my apologies for the FaceTime coming in earlier. Uh, This is normally the time that Pastor Claude and I talk on FaceTime as I'm driving into the office at right this time every morning. So I'll have to tell him, hey, now we're doing live radio first thing every morning. Luke chapter four, beginning with verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. If you come with us to Israel, you see, it's just a short walk, maybe one minute to get from the synagogue to Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now several things I want you to notice about this passage it says, he stood over her. He wasn't afraid to be in her presence. Jesus was never afraid of sickness and disease. He didn't say, oh, I might catch something, so I better stay away from this sick person. Pastors, can I encourage all of you, COP pastors, pastors of other churches, people don't need you to pray online for them. If they're sick right now and they call, you can get in our car, We show our pastoral ID at checkpoints and we say, there's a person who needs our prayer. This is a Christian nation. You'll you'll find that these policemen are very sympathetic. In fact, they'll even say, would you pray a prayer for us? He stood over her and rebuked the fever. Now notice he didn't say, oh father, we're so sorry for this suffering in her body, but what lesson do you want to teach her? He rebuked the fever. Now that's how you deal with a fever. That's how you deal with a high fever people are delirious, they're weak and it. you rebuke the fever. And it, the fever, left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now there's a beautiful truth. When you're healed, you rise up and serve God. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick of various diseases brought them to him. He said, why did they wait so late in the day pastor? Because Capernaum was a was a Jewish, conservative Jewish area. It wasn't a liberal Jewish area, like maybe going into Zafari or something like that. It was a very conservative, Pelican Jewish and a Jewish area. And these people on Shabbat do not travel until sundown. From sundown the night before until the sundown the next day on Saturday, these people don't move. So this would have been Saturday evening, Sun begins to rise, Shabbat is ended, now people can begin to move around. If you if you go with us to Israel, you'll find, you know, from Shabbat on Friday night until sundown on Saturday night, all the shopping malls close, everything is shut down. But then as soon as sundown hits, everybody goes to the shopping mall. Shabbat is over. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now notice, Jesus didn't just, okay, I'm tired, I'm busy, you know, bless you, go away, be healed. He laid his hands on every one of them. Jesus was a patient healer. <laughs> Meditate on that one for a while. Jesus was a patient healer. He laid his hands on every one of them. This is one of the first things I loved when Pastor Dag came to our church. He, he didn't just look at people like, and ah, general prayer, get out of here. He laid his hands on every one of them. That was Jesus' pattern. And demons also came out, now notice demons are in and they come out, demons possess people. We're not talking about oppression, which is from the outside, we're talking about possession which is from the inside. And the demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now there's a truth that you need to stop and look at. Jesus never needed to be sensational. Jesus didn't have public conversations with demons. You know, I listen to these preachers today and they wanna have public conversations with demons and record it and write a book about it and everything. I'm sorry, Jesus didn't have public conversations with demons, he didn't give them that honor, nor did he allow them to stay in that body longer. He cast them out. Now we pick up at verse 42. And when it was day, so he went to sleep that night, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place And the people sought him and came to him. Now, notice he departed and went to a desolate place. Now, there's lots of desolate places down there, even today, near the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus loved solitude. When you're in crowds of people all the time, you need to decompress, you need to recharge. He departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have and would have kept him from leaving them." Now, how different from Nazareth, his own hometown, where they wanted to throw him off a cliff. They sought him, they came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, "'I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose.'" And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, notice, his purpose controlled his life, not the adoration of the crowds. Let me say that again. The purpose of his life controlled his life, not the adoration of the crowds. It's it's very easy to get caught up in popularity. It's very easy to get caught up in the adoration of people. And then you're, you're doing things because, you know, the people love me here. Well, you know what? You still have a purpose in life, and you, you do your purpose. Chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, now notice, pressing in on him. They were crowded. They wanted to hear. Say, well, why were they so rude? Why didn't they give him his social distancing? Why didn't they give him his personal space? They didn't have PA systems in those days. People were straining to hear. So they pressed in on him to hear. They were straining to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's just the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus was teaching. Peter was not in the crowd. Let me say that again. Peter was not in the crowd listening to Jesus. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him, put out a little from the land. Peter had to come back over to the boat. Peter wasn't standing there. He had to be summoned. He had to be called. He got into the boat. But I want you to notice here, he saw two boats by the lake. Now, Jesus was looking for a solution. Jesus was not a man that just lived his life with, well, whatever happens, happens. You know, I've just done my best. Jesus didn't live in mediocrity. He always looked for solutions to solve problems. He always looked for ways to do things better. He had all these people pressing in on him, not to be rude, but to hear. So he said, all right, I got to fix this. Jesus recognizes that water carries sound. That's why he put AM radio stations near water. The, the sound reflects off the water. So he gets into these boats because he knows the boat, the water is going to be a natural amplifier. He can talk to more people, more people can hear him. He looks for a solution. He asked them to put on a little from the land, not very far, because then the voice wouldn't carry, but just a little bit. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now he said, why did he sit down? Well, normally rabbis sat in that day. They called it sitting in Moses' seat. They sat when they taught in the, in the synagogues. But also, you know, the boat's still going to be bobbing around from the waves and everything. So he, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, so notice sermons do end. Sometimes you think they never end. But when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets began to break. Now, stop right here. I want you to notice with me, brothers and sisters, Peter had failed all night at fishing. The Shabbat had ended. Peter had gone out, he'd gone fishing. Well, maybe the Shabbat wasn't that night, but he'd gone out, he'd gone out fishing. Uh, the, the fishermen love to fish at night on the Sea of Galilee because the bugs come out from the land and the fish come in close, to, close into the shores and they feed on the bugs and things that come out. And Jesus said, all right, let's go out into the deep. Now, number one, the, the fish have gone out into the deep, yes, but they've gone down deep because of the heat of the sun. They've gone down to the cooler waters down deep and their nets only are very they're shallow water nets for, for fishing along the shore. So Peter has failed all night, Jesus tells him to do something completely illogical for a fisherman, and he's a carpenter. And he said, but at your word, I will let them down. Now, a couple of things, businessmen, I want you to listen to me about. Number one, I know times are hard right now. And I know right now you feel like you're failing. And some of you, you're desperate because you you don't know, how am I gonna make payroll? How am I gonna survive? You failed. But let me tell you something, Jesus is gonna ask you to do something. He's gonna ask you to serve. And as you serve, people are gonna be blessed. And after you finish serving, Jesus is gonna give you an instruction. Now listen to me very carefully. When Jesus wanted Peter to serve, it was a request. When Jesus wanted to bless Peter, it was a command. Usually we think they're the other ways around. He commanded him. Let's go out to the deep and let down your nets. And there was great blessing. When this time of service is finished, he's gonna tell you to do something, not request, tell you to do something. As you obey by faith, there's gonna be a great harvest. Come to your family. Now, what do you do with that harvest? They signaled, verse seven, their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. They shared the harvest, I like that. When God gives you this huge harvest, you can either try to be greedy and lose it all, or you can share it with your partners and your friends, and everybody is blessed. So as God brings you this great harvest, after the season is finished and you, you begin to serve, he brings you this great harvest, please don't, well, I'm gonna keep it all, your greed, will cause that great harvest to be lost. Instead, share it. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and both filled both boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, there in the boat, fell down at his knees, there in the boat, and said, depart from me, kept saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. Now that's what it takes for a call of God. Now I know in this world today, it's popular for businessmen to go, you know, I'm gonna have my business, and I'm going to be a part-time pastor, and I'm a full-time businessman, and that that's the new modern thing. I'm sorry. I don't doubt your call, Guy. I don't doubt your call. I doubt your obedience to the call. You see, there's sacrifice to follow. There's sacrifice to follow. You walk away from everything. You walk away from your success. I see so many... Forgive me, preacher businessmen destroying churches all across our country today because they still think like a businessman. Now, now, please forgive me, guys. You can't pastor and think like a businessman. Come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men, is what another passage says of the same of the same of the same concept. We have to be changed from the inside out, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of training, and it takes, it takes disconnecting with the business and connecting to Jesus to be changed into a fisher of men. Otherwise, you're still gonna trust your network marketing. You're still gonna do business principles rather than Bible principles. You have to learn to leave everything. So if you're one of these pastors listening to me right now, and you're a full-time businessman and a part-time pastor, and you think that that's a wonderful thing, It's not a wonderful thing. I don't doubt your call. I doubt your obedience to the call. You have to learn to lay everything down. Lay all your success down and follow Jesus. Verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now that word will there is a beautiful word. It means, it doesn't mean if you have a desire to do this because it's the right thing to do, it literally means if when you see me, there's something in you that wants to help me. If there's a feeling in you, if you see my suffering, and notice this is a man full of leprosy. He, he does, he's not in the early stages. He's full of leprosy. That means his fingers are coming off by the digit. That means patches of flesh have rotted off of his body. He's like the walking dead. I mean, this is is a zombie before zombies came across, came out in the movies. Patches of his skin would be gone, his nose would be gone, and there'd be a a cloth across his face, not to keep him warm, but to hide the the disfigurement of of his nose coming off, his toes off. It's not so much a painful disease because the nerves die, but it's horribly disfiguring, and the smell is horrendous. It's like a body decaying while you're still alive. And this man was full of leprosy. Now, normally lepers, when they saw somebody, would hold up their hands and say, unclean, unclean, to tell people to stay away. But this man came straight up to Jesus and begged him, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus didn't say, get away from us. You know, we, I'm an important man of God, stay away from me. I, you, you, might, I, you might be contagious, because they thought lepers were contagious. Apostles, stay away from them. Remember, you have a ministry to other people. Prioritize other people. He didn't say that. Instead, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched the leper, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and changed, and she charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now you wonder why later on, so many priests got saved. So many priests in the temple got saved. You wonder how many lepers did Jesus heal? Because not everything he did is written down for us, but just enough for us to believe. How many lepers did Jesus heal? You wonder why those priests got saved because they kept going to testify to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. People didn't just come to to learn, they came to be healed. Now, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can't tell sick people to stay away from the presence of God, sick people to stay away from church. They, They don't come just to learn, they come to be healed. But he would withdraw to desolate places, verse 16, and pray. Now, again, I showed you earlier, Jesus liked desolate places, he, he needed privacy. If you're gonna carry the load of ministry, you need solitude, and you need solitude to pray. Jesus didn't just go out to desolate places to sleep, he went to desolate places to pray. Now, right now, please forgive me, I don't mean to take advantage of the situation, but we're all in desolate places right now. We're stuck at home. Now it's not necessarily a desolate place, but it's private. We're alone, we're not supposed to be out mixing in company. What a wonderful season to spend time in prayer. So learn just to sit back in your chair, get your Bible out, read for a while, pray for a while, and use this time in Jesus' name. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Hallelujah. It is said of Jesus, here I am, O Lord. I've come to do your will. My friend, maybe this is a nice time for some of us to just back up a little bit and get our lives refocused and recentered. Again, I'm not one of these people who says that God did this because I don't believe God did this. Plague stalk in the darkness. This is a work of the devil. This is not a work of God. But what I do believe is that God can take anything and turn it into a blessing for us, if we'll let him. So maybe take a look and refocus your life right now. All right, would you open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33, beginning with verse one. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Now notice the word stages. Now you're gonna see that word repeated here quite often. I want you to understand a principle here. There are always stages in a goal. Goals are not accomplished by one act. There are stages in a goal. Getting from the land of Egypt into the promised land was not going to be just one journey. There were stages. And they record the stages. So as you begin to look at your goals, sometimes we call them milestones because there's a stage that has a beginning and then you're going to see there's a place where they camp. So there's a stage, this is the beginning of that stage, and this is where this stage ends, and we rest a little bit before we move on to the next stage. So in your goal setting, learn from this passage, the stages to reach a goal, there's a beginning of that stage, and then there's an end of that stage, and you camp, you rest a little bit before you move on. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by company. So they were organized. They didn't just go out like a mob, like on Etsy yesterday or Commonwealth on yesterday or Nichols uh, yesterday, huge mobs. They went out by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage at the command of the Lord. He said, keep a record of these stages. Now notice, God gave him a goal and God said, keep records of how you achieve the goal. Now there's a truth that you need to remember. Keep records of how you achieve the goal. So he wrote down their starting places stage by stage by the command of the Lord. And these are their stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly. So they went out with good emotions. They didn't go out sadly. They didn't go out crying about leaving their garlics and leeks, all those emotions came later. They came out with very happy emotions. They came out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. Now stop there, notice they went out triumphantly. In the face of grief, they were triumphant, but also notice they went out in the open. They didn't slink out in the middle of the night God doesn't need to do anything in secret. God is God. One of the great principles that you need to learn about God is that God doesn't need to hide things. When when the angel came down to roll away the stone, he just came down, rolled away the stone, and sat on it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. He sat on it. Okay, you guards are here to stop me. (laughs) Take your best shot. He sat on it. When it was time for the people of Israel to leave Egypt, they went out in the sight of all the Egyptians. While the Egyptians were bearing their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. You say, Pastor, I didn't think those were real gods. They're not, they're demons. They're demons who had statues made of themselves and forgive me, it's demonic worship. So God executed judgment on the demon gods, the, the demons who had purported themselves to be gods. God executed judgment on those demons. Now, sometimes we think that demons just get away with everything, but I want you to notice God judged those demons in Egypt. So the people of Israel set out from Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. And they set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Etham and turned back to Peherioth, which is east of baal Zephon, and they camped before Midgol. And they set out from before and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. And they went a three days journey into the wilderness of Etham and camped at Mara. And they went up from Mara and they came to Elim. At Elim, there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they camped there. That must have looked like heaven to them. I mean, 70 palm trees and 12 springs of water. And they've been walking through the desert for how long? Sometimes small blessings look really big when you haven't seen it for a while. And they set out from Elam, and camped at the Red Sea. And they set out from the Red Sea, and camped in the wilderness of Sin. And they set out from the wilderness of Sin, and camped at Dochah. And they set out from Dochah, and camped at Alush. And they set out from Alush, and camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. And they set out from Rephidim, and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from the wilderness of Sinai, and camped at Kibroth Atathavah. And they set out from Kibroth Atathavah, and camped at Hazardoth. And they set up from Hazaroth and camped at Ritmah. And they set up from Ritmah and camped at Ramon Perez. And they set up from Ramon Perez and camped at Libna. And they set up from Libna and camped at Risa. And they set up from Risa and camped at Cahilioth. And they set up from Cahilioth and camped at Mount Shepherd. And they set up from Mount Shepherd and camped at Hadara. And they set up from Hadara and camped at Machhehof. And they set up from Machhehof and camped at Talath. And they set out from Tahath and camped at Tara. And they set out from Terah and camped at Midka. These are hard words to say. And they set out from Midka and camped at Hashma. And they set out from Hashmana. and they camped at Masareth. And they set out from Masareth and camped at Benri Ja'achan. And they set out from Bene Ja'achran and camped at Horhagidad. Wow, Horhagidad. And they camped out. And they set out from Hor-Hagidad and camped at Jappah, and they set out from Jappah and camped at Ab- Ab- Abronah, and they set out from Abronah and camped at Ezlon-Geber, and they set out from Ezion geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, that is Kadesh. And they set out from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the edge of the land of Edom. And Aaron the priest went up Mount Hor at the command of the Lord, and he died there in the 40th year after the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. So notice, we have just recorded 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years. And Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. And the Canaanite, the king of Adad, who lived in the Negev in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the people of Israel. And they set out for Mount Hor and camped at Zalmanah, and they set out from Zalmanah and camped at Punon, and they set out from Punon and camped at Oboth, and they set out from Oboth, and they camped at Lia in the territory of Moab. And they set out from Li'am and camped at Dibongad, and they set out from Dibongad, and they camped at Almon Diblahaim, and they set out from Almon Diblahanim, and they camped in the mountains of Abiram before Nebo. And they set out from the mountains of Abiram, and they camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Now we begin to realize where they are. And they camped by Jordan from Beth Jeshimoth and as far as Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images, demolish all their high places. I notice he said, get rid of all the idolatry. Get rid of all the idolatry in the land. Get rid of all of these demon gods in the land. You see, you have to understand, yes, demons have territories, but people not only tolerate them, they encourage those territories. And God said, I don't want those demon demon gods to feel comfortable in my land. I am the God of this land. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it. For I have given the land to you to possess it. Now just back up the bus there and just think about that verse for a minute. God said, I've given you the land. Now he said, what do you do with the land? You possess it. And you settle in it. Now, notice he didn't say, well, I'm giving it to you. Go live someplace else. But that belongs to you. This is not like a rental property. You bought it to rent it out. This is what I've given you. Now, now sometimes we need to realize that when God gives us a promise, he doesn't give us a promise to let somebody else settle in it. And he doesn't give us a promise to let somebody else possess it. You may own it, but somebody else possesses it. What do they say in law? Possession is nine-tenths of the law. We don't let somebody else possess it. We don't let somebody else settle in it. If God has given a promise to your life, he wants you to settle in it. He wants you to possess it. Those are two requirements for a gift of God, that you settle in it and you possess it. Verse 54, you shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. We talked about this yesterday the large tribe, you should give a large inheritance. To a small tribe, you should give a small inheritance. It has nothing to do with the the prestige of the tribe. It has to do with the number of people. Every person, every family was receiving an inheritance from God that could be passed on through the generations. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, Then those of whom you let remain, notice you let remain, not God lets remain. When you let people stay in what belongs to you, what you let remain shall be barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. He said, now listen, you let these people stay, it's going to be nothing but trouble for you you have to learn you settle in what God gives you and you possess it when you let other people live in what belongs to you that God gave you a promise Now I'm not talking about business I'm talking about a promise that God gave you and you know the difference in what I'm talking about when there's something that you have fasted and prayed for and there's something that you have faith for and something that you have sowed seed for and God fulfills that promise that he's made to your family then you're not a bystander who owns it, but you're a, you know, you're a silent partner in it. You possess it. You control it. You settle in it. Many times i talk to some of our businessmen, and God has given them a business. And somebody comes along and they says, you know, I'd like to invest in your business, but I'd like 51% control, and I'll provide the money, but you do all the work. And I always tell our businessmen, you know, you need to really pray about this and make sure this is God. God gave you that business and now they want to come along and they will be in control because they got 51%. And you're going to be left out there with nothing. Learn to possess and settle in what God has given you. Chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land of Canaan, that is the land that shall fall to you for an inheritance, the land of Canaan shall be defined from the wilderness of Zin alongside Edom, and your southern border shall run from the end of the Salt Sea on the east, and your border shall turn south to the ascent of Akrabim and cross the Zin, but its limit shall be south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go on to Hazar Abdar and pass along to Asman, and the border shall turn from Asman to the brook of Egypt, and its limit shall be at the sea. For the western border, you shall have the great sea and its coast, this shall be your western border. Now notice, God is setting boundaries on a promise. Let me say that again. As I read through this next passage, all of this is God setting boundaries, not just on the land of Israel, but boundaries on a promise. Now God never wanted his people to become predatory. God never wanted his people to become like a conquering force that would just move through and keep taking land like Alexander the Great or you know any of the great conquerors throughout history. God did not want his people to be conquerors. He wanted his people to live in the promise. And there is an incredible difference. When, when you have this huge army put together, they could have taken over all kinds of additional land. But God said there's borders on the promise. There's, there's limitations to the promise. Verse six, for the Western border, you shall have the great sea and its coast. This shall be your Western border. This shall be your northern border. From the great sea, you shall draw a line to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall draw a line to Libohama, And the limit of the border shall be Zadad. Then the border shall extend to Ziphon, and its limit shall be Hazar-Enan. This shall be your northern border. You shall draw a line for your eastern border from Hazar-Enan to Shepham. And the border shall go down from Shepham to Riblah on the east side of Ayin. And the border shall go down and reach to the shoulder of the Sea of Chinnereth on the east. And the border shall be down to the Jordan, and its limit shall be the Salt Sea. This shall be your land as defined by its borders all around. So God said, listen, I've defined this. This is the promise. Don't be so adventurous. Don't have such a conquering, predatory instinct. This, this, these, there are limits to this promise. Moses commanded the people of Israel, saying, This is the land you shall inherit by lot which the Lord has commanded to give to the nine tribes and to the half-tribe. For the tribe of the people of Reuben by the father's houses and the tribes of the people of Gad by their father's houses have received their inheritance and also the half-tribe of Manasseh. The two tribes and half-tribe have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, toward the sunrise. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land to you for inheritance eliezer the priest and joshua son of Nun. you shall take one chief from every tribe to divide the land for inheritance these are the names of the men of the tribe of judah caleb the son of Jehunna, of the tribe of the people of simon simeon shmuel the son of abihud of the tribe of benjamin adad the son of chishlan of the tribe of the people of dan a chief buki the son of gogli the people of Joseph. Of the tribe of the people of Manasseh. A chief. Hanil The son of Ephod. Of the tribe of the people of Ephraim. A chief. Camuel The son of Sheptan, Of the tribe of the people of Zebulun. A chief. Elzaphan. The son of Parak. Of the tribe of the people of Issachar. A chief. Pattiel. The son of Azan. Of the tribe of the people of Asher. A chief. Ahihud. The son of Shalomi. Of the tribe of the people of Naphtali. A chief. Adahil, the son of Amihud, these are the men whom the Lord commanded to divide the inheritance for the people of Israel in the land of Canaan. Don't you just love all those names? My friends, our life has changed. We understand that. Be of good cheer. God is with you. Some of you business men, you go, Pastor, how am I going to survive? God is with you. Pastor, how am I going to grow my business? God is with you. And I want you to remember that God can do things very quickly. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Psalms 18, where David said, You have enlarged my steps, and my feet did not slip. When this is all finished, God can make things up in efficiency and speed like you've never dreamed of before. So would you just be at peace? I know that God is with you. God gave you that business. God gave you that career. God gave you that job. It will be well with you, my brothers and sisters. Father, I left you my people today. These are the people that you have entrusted to me. And somehow, Lord, you have said that you would guide them by my hand. I'm humbled by that. They're such a great people. But Father, I feel so helpless right now. I ask that you take the simple words that we share each morning and each evening. And Father, let faith grow within their hearts, faith in you, faith in all that you will do for them. Let fear leave their hearts. Let the fear not just of this plague leave their hearts, but the fear of the future and the fear of the unknown. And Father, that your hand will rest upon every family Sickness shall be far from their household. No plague shall come near their dwelling place. You are their rock. You are their fortress. You are their refuge. You are their deliverer. You have given your angels charge concerning them. Let your hand rest upon them today, Father. Let there be no fear. Let there just be a rest of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. It will
0: be well with you, my brothers and sisters. God is with you.